Okay, we are online and welcome back to our friends around the world. This is the Podcasting Guild Babylon 5, where neither of us know quite what we're doing and he hasn't seen the show. For today's episode, we'll be taking a look at By Any Means Necessary, the Season 1 Babylon 5 episode. For those of you who were paying attention in our previous episode, our following episode after this will be Science Importance to those that we're paying attention again just to reiterate that and that will be followed by the grail for those that you want to follow along we'll be posting the link to the order of the episodes in the episode notes so yeah welcome to the episode how are you doing today andrew i'm doing great i'm doing great my uh dog just got neutered so i'm running light on sleep but you know we're doing great i wonder why hbo changed the or the episode order like that just to mess with me, I think. Me Just personally. to mess with you. Yeah. So this, I mean, I'm doing great, Eric. Thank you for asking. How are you doing? Yeah, doing all right. Doing all right. Had a nice long walk with the pup today. Nice day today in Seattle. You need to add a picture of Boda to the to the podcasting. Yes, we will be doing that shortly. So anyway, by any means necessary. This was an interesting episode. Yep. We got a union episode today. Yeah, so yeah, the, la- the labor movement in space. Yeah. And I have to say, the, the state of the labor movement in space in the future is dire. Yes. I, I think uh, the main plot of this episode was playing on the air traffic controller strike. Mm-hmm. Because there aren't that many industries where it's straight up illegal to strike. Yeah. I don't it's know. Very true. Do, are dock workers? I don't think. I think dock workers can strike. I don't think that's illegal. Like when it comes to government contractors, though, I think it's there are difficult things built into contracts to make it hard for them to do that sort of stuff. That's true. That's true. Although you know, for all the talk about the workers breaking whatever contract, nobody ever mentions. Does the contract not include a, a safety standard that has to be met? Yeah. Like there's nothing in there anyway. Well, we're, I'm getting way ahead of myself. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this episode was basically workers' rights in space. I was here for it. I liked it. I thought you it was yeah the proletariat. I All thought just like just like the uh, uh, the next episode, <laughs> <laughs> which we haven't recorded yet, but in my mind's eye, I can see that just like the next episode, this is offering a lot of what I think Bab Five is best at. Yeah, a lot of sort of moral gray areas told through the lens of Sinclair being badgered into like an exhausted mess which is a trope this show has leaned on a couple times before Mm -hmm. this is not the first time that the narrative of the story is told through the lens of man isn't Sinclair's job hard look how busy he is (laughs) but all right let's get started so we open with what, what do we open with? We don't open with Chaos and Landing Dock. We open with a Narn vessel asking permission to dock. Right, right. So Ivanova is at CNC, and she has a dozen different ships trying to dock. And the dock workers are overworked right now and understaffed, have bad equipment, and so everything's going really slowly. And the Narn freighter is all very insistent about docking right away because they have perishable cargo on board. Right. For Ambassador Jakar, no less. Yes, yes. 
and they don't take kindly to being told they have to wait. Right. So Ivanova does some in real time shuffling around of things mm-hmm. and something gets messed up and there's a ship trying to leave or she tells the Narn ship that it can dock. And when it goes right. to dock, there's another ship there. Yep. And the, and they, you know, actually you know, the details aren't, I guess, all that important. <laughs> <laughs> the, the actual critical details of the opening is that the dock workers are understaffed and have bad equipment. And this leads to an accident where a dock worker is killed and several more are injured. And the precious cargo that Jakar uh, is waiting for is destroyed. Right. So that's kind of the inciting event for the episode. And for various reasons, the dock workers, Narn Captain, Ivanova, all of them are kind of, well, there's good reasons why this isn't our fault. And I think they, the ultimate culprit is like some malfunctioning equipment or something. Exactly. Yeah, there was a malfunctioning piece of equipment due to poor equipment installation from low bidders that got the deal to put the equipment together from the government right and when garibaldi by the way he comes into this meeting and that's his report he's like oh it turns out a contractor just did work on the cheap all over the system and made and i was like god damn garibaldi dude's coming in four hours later with basically a whole insurance investigative report like yeah what did you go did you fly around the whole system since this accident happened two scenes ago he's yeah, a good he's good at his job right he's yeah as proven by the uh the previous episode that we did watch uh you mean the next episode not the previous yeah. episode the, the Wait, previous no. episode babylon noir remember oh he that's right yes <laughs> i'm sorry you're right i mean we haven't seen size importance yet i don't know what you're of talking course about not. yeah no although if there was an episode that i had foresight of that would be the most appropriate (laughs) one indeed indeed uh no you're right you're right yeah babylon noir so oh and okay one other comment in the explosion you know when they're sort of clearing out the accident area the docking bay after the accident they pull a, an unconscious man out who turns out to a you know been killed, and his brother runs up to his body and like mourns him and you know you know cries out his grief and stuff, and then it's like well the scene's over and so all the you know the brother and everyone else just sort of runs off stage right basically or stage left even though I was on stage crew I can't remember <laughs> which uh, perspective it's named from. And, and I'm like, they're just going to leave that body there? Like, they're just going to leave that guy there? Yeah, yeah. Even his brother? He's just like, all right, you're dead now. I'm I'm sad. <laughs> I'm going to go be sad over here. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> I think they probably should have cut a few seconds sooner. I agree. I agree. I don't know. I agree with that. What, what did choosing to end the scene with all of them, like, running off state, you know, what, what did that accomplish? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So then we we cut to a rather jarring transition, which is Jakar doing some kind of religious thing, reciting uh, what's clearly written to be like religious dogma, sort of old-timey text kind of thing. And that was a bit jarring. And and again, I have to return to a comment I made on a previous episode where I think a rogue psychic was shaking his room apart Mm-hmm. And no, or, or did people notice it? I can't remember it. But either way, 
how is Jakar not already aware that something horrible has happened, right? This is a space station. The only thing anything is connected is through the skeleton of the space station, right? There's no, like, land. You can't have buildings next to each other. And sure, one can have something happen and you might not notice in the other. Everything is connected. (laughs) Everyone would feel an explosion powerful enough to destroy a ship and create the chaos we've seen so you know jakar just being off in his own little world talking about man i don't even remember i don't even remember what his mumbo jumbo was all about but yeah that was a little like come on where's your situational awareness here jakar see my head canon is that since he's an ambassador they have ambassadorial quarters suspended on like I don't know, some sort of suspension device so they don't feel any shock or stuff like that. They're nice and comfortable the entire time because they want to be comfortable <laughs> as ambassadors, right? So you logically, know, like that. one would install yeah. stuff like that to keep the ambassadors comfortable. I like that. I like that. <laughs> Though this episode, again, makes me ask, are they ambassadors? Are they ambassadors yeah. or are they feuding frat houses? Because <laughs> they act way more like the latter yeah (laughs) like there is no difference between how jakar and lando interact between one of those old 80s college movies right with feuding frat houses other than when they go to sinclair sinclair can't just tell him to piss off because they can say oh we'll make an international incident about it yeah but aside from that trump card (laughs) i don't know jakar and lando I loved it, by the way. I don't. I don't want to sound like I'm just ragging on it. I'm here for it. Their, you know, little rivalry is one of the best parts of the show. Yeah. But it is just. It's just so comically out of character for ambassadors that. It's, yeah. Yeah. Agree. Agree. But okay, you know, let's get on with it. I was worried this was going to be like a budget meeting episode, mm-hmm. like a whole episode about how tight the budget <laughs> is. Which you know, I guess that's the backdrop. Well, so anyway, I thought they did an interesting thing this episode, which is they made the B-plot the inciting incident for the Mm A-plot. So the thing Jakar wanted was this flower for a religious ceremony, and that's what gets destroyed. And his assistant, and in fact, this happens in a scene right after Londo kind of mocks him for it. Yeah. (laughs) And then his assistant comes up, literally, like, as Londo is turning his shoulder away, he's barely (laughs) taken one step back before this assistant just comes into frame and it's like man was she just waiting in line for lando to leave <laughs> but anyway then the assistant says uh oh we saw on the you know whatever i don't remember what she checked some kind of manifest that there's only one other flower on board and of course who has it it's lando <laughs> and there's this great bit where they both turn to face lando and he's just like cackling in the elevator as the he waves at them (laughs) so you know that was that was a great setup and i appreciated that the b plot had a bit of humor in it you know because the a plot was quite serious yep but again every episode that shows sinclair caring about and fighting for the plight of the people on board the ship just casts in starker and starker light that episode where lando falls in love with the the (laughs) trafficking victim yeah and how sinclair has firsthand knowledge that there is human trafficking going on aboard his station and is she the only sex slave that was sourced for this club probably not and the fact that he does nothing to address this i mean come on sinclair (laughs) 
Come on. Yeah. Well, hopefully he put that in the very capable hands of Mr. Garibaldi to address and they just address that off screen. Yeah, yeah, address it off screen. Well, uh, <laughs> enough enough about me griping about yeah. past episodes. Uh, they did not address this one off screen. They addressed all of this on screen. Yeah, well, you know, we have the uh, whole scene where they go to meet with the workers and kind of determine what's going on. And just prior to that... Sinclair has that conversation with Senator Hidoshi, who basically puts that wall in front of him, says that you can't do anything with the budget. The budget's been set and leaving Sinclair with, you know, little wiggle room. But then they start to hear that a bunch of the dock workers are calling in sick, which they allude to the blue flu, which is something that I think has actually occurred in real life where police officers or other individuals have called in sick in mass because they weren't able to go on strike because they were like in a safety sort of role, right? And weren't able to go on strike as a result of that or contractual restrictions. So they were kind of beginning a unofficial strike at this point, which leads to some interesting things as we dive into it. We're also introduced to Naomi Connolly who is the representative of the dock workers, which, yeah, I thought it was interesting and cool that they had a, a, you know, a strong female character representing these dock workers. And also it's cool that with Del Vientos, you know, you had minority representation also within the dock workers guild too. So I thought that was cool that they had those kind of little side parts for minority characters in a sense to give them bit more visibility not only that eric but i noted that they kind of bookend the social ladder they had a hispanic character in the dock worker and mm-hmm. then the president what, I, what was his name espinoza president something i don't remember yeah. mm-hmm. but it was it was it was a hispanic surname and so they kind of bookended it at both ends of the social ladder you know that there's people of different ethnicities but so i thought that was cool you know, I did note that the union representative was a woman, but I looked and I did not clock any other woman in the dock worker <laughs> club. I think there might have been a few in the background, but none, uh, none others with lines yeah, for actually sure. Actually, my wife just shouted at me. There were three. So I didn't look <laughs> very hard, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> but OK, yeah, fair enough. That was nice for them to. Not, nice isn't the right word. It was. It was good that they added a bit of diversification and who sure. was represented among sure. the dock workers. I thought uh, this episode did a great job of framing sort of worker grievances and framing the kind of institutional inertia that they can come up against. Where even if there's a lot of well-meaning people like Sinclair, you know, that's it's not always enough to overcome the sort of forces that push back against yeah. these labor movements. What I thought the show kind of chickened out on is exploring the other side of that story, which is Garibaldi's the boot. Mm-hmm. He's the space boot. And, you know, they kind of they kind of just took the easy way out and was like, ah, oh, we had a scuffle, but everyone, you know, we're all friends, right? There was no sort of exploration of, well, okay, what what differences in culture and like mentality would be present between Garibaldi's minions and the workers union that would make Garibaldi's men okay with, you know, attacking the union, given that the framing we've had of the union's grievances has been so sympathetic. Mm -hmm. 
like the much i think more interesting choice maybe this would have been too much for one episode but i would have loved to see how you know how garibaldi said all right we're going in to do this like or how they were framing the grievances like are Mm -hmm. these just such consummate professionals that no matter how much they sympathize with the workers they're going to go and crack skulls i guess okay that that's one way to take it but it would have been so much more interesting to see either how they were sort of challenged by the decision of whether or not to enforce uh, what we the audience have been presented as a incredibly unfair rule and even if sinclair was able to defuse it by being a very clever person yeah i don't know i thought they kind of chickened out on the second half of obviously showing the workers and their grievances and the righteousness of their cause obviously that's good and that's one half of it i would have really loved to see some scenes of Garibaldi's men needing to be convinced or pushing back or being too eager, right? And maybe some of the fascist tendencies that we've seen play out as antagonists. Anyway, I thought they missed a chance by sort of just brushing over that and saying, oh no, don't worry about it. They had a little fist fight, but now they're all buddies. Yeah, yeah. The the security team was very much just the faceless enforcers. They didn't really delve into it at all. Garibaldi gave voice to a little bit of it, but not much from his standpoint. I think maybe one of the things was they were concerned with maybe framing Garibaldi in too bad a light or something like that. Maybe that's what came into it. But I think to your point, this had been a two episode arc. They probably would have had the opportunity to explore it. And I guarantee if that episode had come out within the last five years, that would totally be something explored with everything that's been going on. That's a great point. In fact, it's probably hard for anybody who's plugged into like the sort of national or international narratives even around law enforcement to not think about that in an episode like this Mm -hmm. but i mean the labor movement you know wasn't you know a a brand new baby that nobody had heard about in the mid 90s (laughs) you know america had plenty of uh labor rights laws on the book written in the blood of protesters Mm. anyway but uh i think you're a hundred percent right i don't think they wanted to get too many blemishes on their shiny protagonists but i don't know when i say you know the kinds of things babylon 5 does best i feel like making characters make tough decisions and it not being obvious what the right choice is I don't know if that's what I'm watching the show for. I would yeah. I would have liked to see yeah. them lean into that from the uh, yeah from Garibaldi's side. For sure. Seeing Garibaldi at least struggle a little more uh, with what he's been asked to do. Well, hopefully, if the reboot gets made, that's something they'll explore a bit more come that time in the series. Yeah, well, interesting. Is there a reboot in the works? Is there like is there talk about? There are that? rumors. Yeah, there are rumors that a reboot is in the works. I purposefully am not going to look at any Babylon Five like social media. <laughs> I, I I don't want to know what the yes. community thinks about any of the stuff I'm watching. <laughs> don't worry, um, folks. I will forward along any kind of fun comments to uh, to Andrew here. So if you want to send over fun memes, <laughs> yeah. just let me know and I'll forward them on to andrew so he can see yeah like, please Sacramento please do sinclair <laughs> yeah yeah eric sent me a meme patrick made or, or edited that had me had me on the floor that was hilarious <laughs> but anyway yeah all all that to say well so i don't know i think a reboot could be cool i'm yeah. a little 
skeptical only because i've been burned by so many terrible reboots the live action cowboy bebop anyway yeah yeah i I don't want to just go listing shows but like (laughs) the problem is is that when they take a show like babylon 5 and they reboot it there's always a i'm worried they're going to try to make it super gritty and realistic yeah and there's a lot of camp in babylon 5 which is what i am enjoying the most like (laughs) the crime boss mantis is amazing because it's campy and stupid (laughs) and i'm kind of worried that if they take all that stuff out well i don't know maybe maybe i say that but maybe they could do the sets better and the dialogue better so that it wouldn't need to have the campy bullshit to be entertaining yeah i'm cautiously optimistic about it primarily because the original showrunner and author of the series is involved with the reboot and he's kind of leading that j michael Straczynski is the one okay. leading it so we'll see how that goes and i think the real difficulty won't be so much the story i think they could actually do quite well to streamline a bunch of the story arcs mm-hmm. and maybe actually touch on some of the other aspects like stuff like dealing with police brutality perhaps but i think the difficulty will be finding the right actors for the characters the likes of Londo and Jakar we haven't quite got there in the series yet but as you continue to watch the series you'll definitely understand why it's going to be hard to find replacements for those actors here's I I have a little bit of a what might be a spicy take to super fans out there I'm obviously not a super fan of Babylon 5 being that I'm watching it for the first time what 30 years after it aired almost I think reboots are stupid (laughs) <laughs> I think reboots are stupid. Uh, maybe maybe there's something they knew they have to say and they really want mm-hmm. to use the same characters and familiar plot arcs to say it. But do a prequel, do a sequel, yeah. have the next generation. Like Star Trek literally had their next, be the next generation, right? Like, yeah. And it was a, another cultural smash it. Why are you rebooting? Why would we want to see another sinclair played by another actor yeah play out oh he doesn't he's on the line but he doesn't remember everything Mm -hmm. like no come on do something new yeah i I agree with that i think that it would be really cool to get funding for a babylon 5 series set in that universe but exploring different aspects of the universe oh my god yes let's have let's be uh or maybe you have to have it um but the babylon 5 station you know much like the star trek uh, i guess they're on different ships but still they're sent around the ships i'd love to see more mimbari stations more sets in the centauri republic more sets in the narn whatever in mimbari Mm -hmm. like let's go see Let's go see what their space stations look like. Let's go see what their, you know, I don't know. I feel like they've set up this sort of vast, unknowable, incredible universe. Let's go see it. Right. Let's go see it. We've seen these characters walk these hallways on this station and talk about these things. We've seen it. Let's go see something else. So anyway, that's now obviously when I say we, I mean basically all of you except me. I haven't (laughs) seen everything yet. But that's kind of my feeling about reboots. Like unless you really have something to say or you're redoing sort of a classic piece of literature they wanted to, you know, 
redo the matrix as a animated mm-hmm. thing or redo lord of the rings as something else but if you have something new to say that's one thing but i'm generally not a fan of reboots myself i also heard edit me to sound smarter eric sorry go <laughs> ahead <laughs> Yeah, I'm generally not a fan of reboots myself. I actually heard a while back, I'm not sure how much progress has been on it, but that they're rebooting Battlestar Galactica again. A reboot of the 2005 series, which was a reboot of the 1970s series. Yeah, I've never seen the 1970s series, but I did watch the 2005 one. Yeah, that's the kind of thing I'm talking... And no, I haven't seen the 1970s series, but it is my understanding that the 2005 one took a much different very different arc yeah yeah like i don't think the cylons just destroy everything in the first few episodes in the 1970s one and so that's that would be a choice i guess i would get behind that if it's the story you thought you knew but 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 again just give us new characters then make it a new story yeah i I mean you have a whole universe to work with let's work with it let's do something i don't know i think is it risk aversion by the people who write the checks they don't want to write checks for things that they don't know people love already probably yeah it's probably that i think it's probably they know babylon 5 has a fan base it was one of those series in the 1990s that was canceled for a little bit but got re-upped because of fan demand Mm -hmm. it wasn't quite the same as with firefly that got a whole movie but babylon 5 came close to being outright canceled in its fourth season but ended up getting picked up by another television network to complete the series so yeah there's known to be you know fan base and maybe they're they're reluctant to go out and try new things and i think there is some evidence to point towards that being a difficult path recently in the last two or three years there have been a number of new star trek properties coming out and there's been quite a lot of backlash from <laughs> a lot of the, the hardcore star trek people yeah uh, but again again it's because they're rebooting it it's because they're showing the same characters and they're saying but actually they did this mm-hmm. well then you run the risk of fans being like wait what no that's my favorite character they wouldn't do that right yeah well i don't know and again, like I, I was never a Star Trek super fan. And so like, you know, I, I risk putting my foot in my mouth talking about things that I know people care strongly about. But same thing. I saw at least a couple of the new Star Trek movies and I wasn't blown away. And I don't know. I think part of it is, yeah, they were trying to tell they were they were showing me the things I've seen before. And, and like <laughs> the fact that new actors are playing it and the CGI is better. It's I'd rather see a new story told. I'd rather you give me a way to think about this intellectual property in some way that is surprising or pleasing or, I don't know. I find a <laughs> lot of big budget movies and property that's coming out in recent years to be pretty tepid, to be pretty yeah. like, yep, that was a Fairly movie. shallow, fairly shallow. Pretty shallow, yeah. My biggest complaint with the new Star Trek movies was that they built the Enterprise on Earth does not make sense can't do that i mean you don't build a spaceship on on the planet i totally agree i totally agree when you get ships that big it doesn't really make much sense for them to be going between planet surface and space because the forces and requirements for the spaceship are so different right that you know (laughs) if you have a big ship that people live on permanently that's going to be in space it's the same way that it's not like aircraft carriers occasionally are pulled onto the land right no once they're in the water they're in the water sure sometimes you have to dry dock them but 
you don't pull it a hundred miles inland to do that. (laughs) That's right against the water that the dry docks are. So yeah, it is a little silly to look, you're getting me off on rants about other (laughs) shows entirely. We need to talk about Babylon (laughs) five. Right. Okay. Well back to the show, back to the show, back to the show. I don't even remember where we left off. So we left off with the, the blue flu starting. And then yes. Sinclair gets a call from Senator Hidoshi saying, hey, what's this uh, news we hear about people going on an unofficial strike? We're going to have to send in our strike breaker in chief to go in and take care of business. So you might have to implement the Rush Act. And you hear the dun-dun-dun music in the background. Yep, yep. And, <laughs> and you know, jumping ahead just a little bit, I thought it was hilarious how they described him as their best negotiator. Yeah. He was yeah. a awful negotiator he was terrible he was so bad <laughs> he was so bad i don't bad. know how that guy got his job but he was it was almost it. like his job was to make everyone hate him instead of <laughs> negotiate because yeah. of course by the end of the episode everyone hates him yeah he was a terrible negotiator i also you know it's quite obvious that the telecommunication sessions are pre-recorded it doesn't hold up great nothing i could absolutely put my finger on but the way sinclair lets himself get cut off for example yeah definitely shows that uh it's a recorded message but you know in an episode where again the inciting incident involves a lot of cgi with the sort of ship crashing into the bay and exploding and stuff it was actually i thought these pre-recorded sort of conversations or half-recorded conversations that for me aged most poorly i thought the cgi actually wasn't too bad yeah yeah okay so they order in this strike breaker yep and i wrote down space fonzie (laughs) because he basically (laughs) he did look a lot like fonzie i'm not sure if that's the same actor though oh it's definitely not the same actor yeah but you know maybe his son i don't know (laughs) (laughs) and uh oh 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 so right after or maybe right before this scene there was an interesting moment where jakar was talking to his assistant about why he needed this flower and his assistant was like oh yeah i i follow something else and i thought this was an interesting moment because it was the first time that it was explicitly stated much less implied that there were different religions yeah or different cultures on an alien planet up until now it's been planet x planet religious fundamentalists planet crazy hairdo planet Mm. you know (laughs) narn this was the first indication we've got that there are cultural and religious differences yeah although obviously they're not that important because this assistant has been working with jakar for a while he didn't even know that she she wasn't the same faith as him. Maybe, you know, maybe that's his bad for assuming. Oh, you know, it's a work relationship. You don't talk about religion at work, right? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I mean, Jakar is nothing but a consummate professional. So exactly. Very professional. That checks most out. professional ambassador on the station. Yeah. Guaranteed. Which is why he broke into Malaria's quarters and was waiting for him to get back to talk to him about getting the, the plant <laughs> that he has. Right. Very yes, professional. Yes. Yeah, he goes to offer to buy this flower from Londo. And Londo offers it to him for 50,000 credits. And Jakar reacts in a way that tells us that that's a lot of money. And I thought this did a good way of level setting so that later when Sinclair talks about 1.3 million credits, 
we're already primed to understand that well if 50,000 is a is a you know a small fortune for an individual Mm-hmm. That kind of gives us an indication of that 1.3 million is a lot. You get the idea that it's a one-to-one conversion with 1995 dollars and Basically. credits. Yeah. <laughs> but still, I thought as someone who's all about, you know, units, as anyone in the sciences uh, mm-hmm. is into, it was nice of them to sort of value set at least roughly credits are worth. Yeah. All right. What else? Sinclair Shadow. Yeah, Sinclair had a was sporting a five o'clock shadow for most of this yeah. episode. Looking not too bad. Not too yeah. bad, I thought. This was in a post Lord of the Rings world where the world got a look at Vigo Mortensen <laughs> with that five o'clock shadow of the century. Maybe the maybe they would have just left it on the character. Yeah, just lean you into know? it. Lean into yeah, it. lean into it. Uh, it's not very military though, is it? He is supposed no. to be a commander after military all. Military is supposed to be clean cut. Okay, well, anyway, I actually want to backtrack. We don't need to backtrack, actually, because I want to talk about these striking workers. Yep. And how what unifies this group, a shared experience, being unfairly treated in the workplace, maybe, maybe. But I would argue what unifies them is their giant wrenches, Eric. (laughs) Because that is what you saw everywhere in this crowd. They're like, what would really identify these guys as the salt of the earth as the laborers of babylon 5 i know they should all be carrying giant (laughs) giant wrenches uh not even adjustable wrenches from the look of it yeah giant space box wrenches exactly exactly which i should i didn't wasn't paying attention i should have seen if they were using those you know in the brawl I just thought it was hilarious how many giant wrenches there were. Yeah, there were quite a few. <laughs> but, you know, they're dock workers, so they probably do similar sorts of things to each other, at least some of them. So it might make sense to have a number of large space wrenches lying around. Uh, that's classist, Eric. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, so anyway, this negotiator comes in and is like just standing in the middle of these this group of angry dock workers and this is why I wrote down this negotiator is the worst because is he negotiating? Not really, not really. He's just kind of saying over and over again, stop striking. We can't pay you more. You're not allowed to strike. So stop it. And he's just yeah. kind of saying versions of that over and over again. And unsurprisingly, it's not going well. It's mm-hmm. not going well. And the workers are just getting angrier and angrier and basically like, conditions aren't safe and you know we don't have the tools we need to do our job and eventually sinclair and the union leader and the the strike breaker sit down and try to hash it out yeah and it doesn't work it doesn't go well unsurprisingly and again i thought it was a you know it was fine that they brought in this third party boot to be the boot Mm-hmm. Uh, so that Sinclair and Garibaldi didn't have to get their hands dirty. And I actually don't have any problem with that. But I, again, I would have liked to see... Sinclair put in a difficult position or, or Garibaldi. Yeah. Yeah. And it, well, so with Sinclair, you know, it turns out he had a plan and that's why they didn't have to show him wrestling with the morality of the situation. But Garibaldi, at the very least, uh, if they were going to do Sinclair's plan, they didn't need the brawl. 
the brawl didn't add anything. It just made me ask all these questions about how Garibaldi and his men feel about being ordered to do this, about thinking all these thoughts about how they're not showing all this conflict that they could. They didn't have to include the brawl. It didn't add anything because once Sinclair pulls his little gimmick, they didn't need the brawl for that. So yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like they wanted to have their big fight scene, but it kind of distracted from what they wanted the episode to be about because it made me ask all these questions that I think they could have had the fight scene if they had tweaked it just a little bit where if they had made like Xanto who was a strike breaker in the chain of military command so that he had to take over for Sinclair and then he ordered Garibaldi to break up the strike directly and maybe Garibaldi was hesitant but then one of his guys takes a swing at someone because they were nervous or something and that starts to brawl. I think a couple of tweaks like that could have given them that kind of action scene that they were looking for while still keeping Sinclair and Garibaldi relatively clean for yeah, the episode. I think you're right. Although, as you were saying that, it reminded me that they did this before, that the presidential security detail basically yeah. came in and said, we're in charge now and we're going to order people to do stuff. And they had all the drama around that. So again, it's not a card I want to see them play every time Sinclair might have to make a hard choice or might have to get his hands dirty. I would much rather see, yeah, I'd much rather see him get his hands dirty and and wrestle with the aftermath or make Mm -hmm. the moral decision and have to deal with the political fallout, which is kind of what happened in this case. You know, he he found a solution that he basically gave the dock workers what they wanted and there was an an implied political fallout. Mm. One thing I did find interesting about the strike itself was that they didn't leave that room. (laughs) No. I would presume the strikers would like go out into the commercial areas of Babylon 5 and kind of get attention to their strike, but they stayed in the cargo bay the entire time, which I mean, fair enough, they're not working, but... I would think they would want to try to draw attention to their plight by putting people out there with placards. And that could have, again, given them the fight they want. Like, oh, one of the strike workers throws a punch at a Membari for pissing him off or something like that. And yeah. then the security I has to go in and wrestle with them. I completely agree. I think they I think they miss an opportunity on this as well. Like seeing dock workers petitioning for support around the casino and around yeah. whatever all these all these lounges and where the the sort of business class and you know elites of seeing how these other social classes perceived the the message that that the workers are trying to put out i thought this episode had a lot of fertile ground that wasn't explored Agreed. and yeah. now that i reflect on it even though i enjoyed the b plot it was cute watching jakar and londo feud it always is fun yeah i feel like giving that screen time and like you said leaving the workers in the one room in the one location that they've been in the whole time skipping over any kind of interesting decisions garibaldi has to struggle with i don't know that yeah Yeah. i feel a little cheated i feel a little cheated i thought there was a lot more they could have explored in this episode that would have been perfect a perfect fit for the kinds of stuff that babylon 5 explores yeah it's like they walked up to the precipice of a more interesting conversation but they kind of held back through this episode i think yeah i totally agree and again you know i i was a a young child in 1995 and so maybe they couldn't get away with airing something that spicy but Mm -hmm. yeah that's you know 
Well, they, they even yeah, like hinted at it too with kind of the interaction of the labor leader and Jakar when they first met, you know, to talk about the accident. Jakar is like, oh, I demand reparations, all that. Then the labor leader is like, we had two people get killed. And he's like, oh, well, that's all sad and everything, but I still demand reparations, right? So it would have been interesting to see Jakar confronted with the laborers, you know, out in public and stuff like that. Yes. See more of that oh and God, see I how totally he agree. handles it and how Malari handles it, how Delano would have handled it. I totally agree. And the more I think about the more things like the fact that this is a space station with a quarter yeah. million people on it. There's no family farm out in the backyard, you know, if the roads are closed down for a week. The fact that the docks would have been out of service would have meant that, you know, how are they replenishing their food supplies? How are they yeah. replenishing medical supplies? Like they didn't even make a make any implied statements about how this might be affecting the rest of the population on babylon 5 how those hardships might affect popular support for the workers mm. like yeah no i agree with you the more i think about it <laughs> the more really dramatic tense aspects of this conflict were just kind of not even addressed just right. totally left on the floor and we got yeah they still could have had funny asides too. Like I can see a bunch of the dock workers coming around the corner and there's Kosh just like not knowing what to do. And so he turns around and quickly shuffles to the elevator or something as the dock oh workers God. approach him. Dude, yes. Oh, what a perfect scene that would have been. Or if Kosh gave them one of his cryptic one-liners yeah. <laughs> and we're all these sort of noble elites and aristocratic class kind of solemnly you know squint at kosh and contemplate what he said it would have been hilarious to see the dock workers be like oh this this guy's not worth our time he's a loony like yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what we're saying is mr Trzynski, if you're listening to this we have ideas for the reboot if you no, yeah hit if us up. one episode hit us needed up. a reboot this is it you could have done so much with this episode and with the current <laughs> political and social narratives that are on top of everyone's mind i think this would be a really prescient one so yeah. you know i have to say i came away from the episode liking it it's only in talking with you and thinking about all the the interesting plot arcs they could have explored that i'm disappointed in hindsight but i was enjoying the episode as i watched it it's an episode with a lot of potential that unfortunately wasn't explored to the greatest extent, but still a good episode, I think. So yeah. this episode of our podcast has turned out to be like 90% belly aching and 10% <laughs> synopsis and analysis. So let's at least fill in what we've been referring to a few times, which is Sinclair's rather ingenious uh, solution to this. Well, ingenious. What I thought was a great solution which is so so they invoke this act the rush act which basically says that it empowers the boot to stop the strike the illegal strike by any means necessary title of the episode yep and the implication the heavy implication not even implication it's, it's sometimes explicitly stated that this means that they're going to mass arrests right they're going to go and yeah. arrest everybody and so they put the rush act into effect and they even have a brawl between Garibaldi and his men and the workers. And this was, in my opinion, one of the weakest points of the whole episode. Not only because Garibaldi and his goons look, I mean, they look like Slavic club goers. What, what <laughs> was that outfit? I mean, come on. Okay, anyway. 
those shiny black pleated it's just ridiculous okay but yeah so i've i've I already articulated why i thought this brawl was unnecessary but okay they have a little fight and then garibaldi's men clear out and then sinclair and the boot i forgot his name and uh thank you garibaldi basically all the people that the miners like the least just mm. wade through this anger crowd, which literally seconds earlier was in a brawl, was like in a violent fight. And again, I mean, this was the most Disney brawl ever with people armed with batons and wrenches. No one was injured. There's, you know, no problems anyway. OK, uh, I, I keep getting distracted <laughs> by wanting to, to bitch and moan. <laughs> So anyway, Sinclair basically gets attention on him and says, all right, I've been empowered by the Rush Act to do whatever by any means necessary to resolve the strike. And the means that he has deemed necessary are to give into their demands. So he's going to yeah. allocate more money, you know, to, to updating equipment. And he's going to, I don't remember, do other stuff. Yeah, he basically updates the Babylon 5 military budget and takes out of the military budget to pay for the workers you know, hint, hint, large government, uh, what you can do to help make sure people are taken care of. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I have to say, you know, we were talking about what credits must be worth, but 1.3 million credits, I mean, that is actually not a lot for, you know, on the scale of the number of people we saw and the kind of equipment they would need, 1.3 million doesn't sound like a lot at all to me. But one other thing that no one ever brought up which i thought this would have been a perfect episode to bring it up was what i mentioned earlier is how dependent a place like babylon 5 would be on these docks for their yeah. lifeblood right for survival the union rep could have brought out how you're only able to live on this station because of the work of these people but no they never brought it up in fact I, yeah once again i just feel like they missed a great opportunity to show a lot of the connective tissue that binds these people living together on this station yeah so yeah everyone was friends at the end this was the corniest nonsense ever i thought yeah you were just fighting each other in the streets or you know in in the dock but as soon as sinclair makes his decision everyone's friends everyone's buddies now okay yeah all right cool garibaldi and all his goons are just extensions of sinclair's last statement <laughs> they have no opinions of their own other than how Sinclair has decided to resolve things. Yeah. But, you know, I really liked the sort of epilogue of this episode because Sinclair basically makes Jakar and Londo make <laughs> peace or, you know, not make peace. But well, one thing they didn't highlight or didn't show was that part of the reason why Sinclair had to get involved was Jakar stole a religious artifact from Malari of some sort, like a statue or something. And he was refusing to give it back like a petulant child. Until oh, got yeah. Oh, my God. Flower. Yeah, that, that, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the most of the humor of, of this B-plot, of the Londo-Jakar feud, most of the humor was basically derived by how petty they were yes. being towards each other. And just like, <laughs> how childish. And yeah, that's exactly. So, yeah, Jakar with plausible deniability has this religious <laughs> statue stolen yeah and that final scene sinclair is like i've been awake for two days or yeah i haven't slept for two days or something so i'm i'm pretty cranky and just puts an end to it 
and then at the end jakar is like oh i appreciate you getting that flower for me or you know he he confiscates it from londo using some kind of technicality yeah and jakar is like but the festival is past and sinclair does some excellent physicsing <laughs> by pointing out that while well, the the holiday is based on the light from your star and we're 10 light years away and so actually you didn't miss it uh, you know, that light is going to reach you, whatever, in 10 years and 12 hours. Yeah. Okay. Great <laughs> physicsing. I'd love to hear it. A couple things. A couple <laughs> things. One, Sinclair just said he had been up for two days. Yes. Are we meant to believe that one of the things he did during those two frantic days was just kick his feet up and go down a Wikipedia rabbit hole about the Narn homeworld, exactly how far away it is from Babylon 5, what date and time this ritual occurs on, you know, and then math out how long, like, really? Because that was a very detailed answer for someone who had been awake for two two days. What they fail to mention is that Sinclair is actually a prodigious genius, and he is a polymath and great at yeah. many things apparently apparently <laughs> but you know the other thing i'd like to point out is that you know it was all about well the sun the light from the the star has to hit the mountain and if the timing is based on the light hitting the mountain then the light hitting babylon 5 none of that ever hit a mountain you know it didn't hit a mountain because it's reaching you right now and mountains are famously opaque yes uh, but okay there's my there's my small <laughs> very uh oh what's the word i'm looking for nitpicky nitpicky thank you yes <laughs> extremely nitpicky you would be a physics degree holding person also hold on one more comment <laughs> they said it was 10 light years away yes which is remarkably close Mm-hmm. right i mean the milky way galaxy is i don't even remember twenty thousand light years across i don't quite remember but tens of thousands maybe hundreds of thousands uh in fact let's let's look it up let's look it up milky way size milky way size here we go not the candy bar the galaxy yeah so it says the milky way is about five inches long <laughs> and it's covered in milk chocolate no yeah fifty-two thousand light years so the milky way is fifty-two thousand light years across Babylon 5 is 10 light years from the Narn homeworld. So my question is, is Babylon 5 very close to the Narn homeworld? Like, is it notably close? Or is this roughly the average distance? Is the Centauri Republic also about 10 light years away? And Earth also about 10 light years? In which case, the sort of political universe of Babylon 5 is actually quite small in the scheme of galactic travel right yeah anyway so so it was interesting that they put a number on that distance thereby giving some sense of scale to their little political universe which if we go back to our conversation about the reboot means that there's plenty of fertile ground for a reboot to explore yeah you know it actually wouldn't be bad if all the sort of known civilizations were clustered in a tiny corner of space and i mean that's right that's that's the current reality we live in right every politic 
ever has existed on this one planet. You know, exactly. It's definitely not a bad thing, I would say. It's just an interesting, yeah, an interesting little reveal there. And Mm -hmm. I wonder if they ever explore the implications that there's still tons of galaxy to be explored. And I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this one has run a little long, Eric, and I have to apologize. I got off on Marantz as I do sometimes. <laughs> you know, Eric, when Eric was asking me what we should name this podcast, my suggestion was Babble on 5 because I <laughs> knew I was just going to babble on and on. Well, I knew that there were many guilds involved, so I thought we would be a guild which, you know, I think we need to uh consider striking ourselves so we can get better benefits. You know, it's interesting you say that because historically guilds were not very good things uh, (laughs) uh, for anyone but the people in them. They were basically protectionist rackets. Yeah. You know, it it was basically, if they existed in the modern world, we'd call them organized crime, essentially. (laughs) Right? People who will come in and like, beat you up and burn down your house if you try to work in an industry without their permission that's basically what guilds were is these are the people who are allowed to be weavers if you try to be a weaver and they don't give you permission to do it you know bad (laughs) things are going to happen to you that's what guilds used to be so it is kind of interesting how guilds uh have entered the sort of pop culture consciousness by way of fantasy titles right uh Mm -hmm. you know i think oblivion and skyrim and stuff have guilds in them and uh you know they've just kind of represent these kind of benign uh sort of old time year slash futuristic uh <laughs> labor organizations but yeah historically they were not so great i don't i don't like hearing that guilds might come back in the future i don't want them to come back well no let's let's say that the podcasting guild stands in solidarity with our brothers and sisters at the dock workers guild not so much with the Assassin Guild, but the dock workers were cool with. And I, just so I don't leave it implied, I want to say <laughs> explicitly, make sure you get the green light from us if you want to do a podcast about Babylon 5, <laughs> or we'll break your kneecaps. That, I mean, we are, after all, the Podcasting Guild, or Podcasters Guild. I can't, I can never remember exactly. Guild. We are the Podcasting Guild. So, you know, now that I've explained to you what a guild is, uh, <laughs> y'all know how to act. <laughs> that was all a joke i would never break anyone's kneecaps okay all right we're well over an hour on this recording eric i leave it to you as always to edit me to make me sound smarter that's uh that's a hard job to do but i'll do my best <laughs> <laughs> hey uh all right do you have anything else you want to add no uh, i think that covers it for this week's episode of the podcasting guild just a reminder for those of our friends who are following along Next episode you should be watching is uh, Science Importance, and that's going to be followed up by The Grail after that. So not to say that anyone amongst us have watched them out of order by any means. Just want to highlight that in Looking case at you, uh, Patrick. you were flying along. Looking at you. <laughs> All right. Well, if there's nothing else, we'll bid you adieu and a good eating to you Good all. eating to you.